As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. In today's episode of The Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the struggles Ben Simmons has had here over the last couple of games, what could be holding him back, the comments Stock Rivers made about his role in player personnel decisions and the Sixers' upcoming schedule, including the next two games against the Boston Celtics. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat, where you can get a link to get 50% off of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined as always by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm okay, man. You know, not, not a lot going on in the world right now. No, but, especially uh, not when you have that one game get um, postponed. Oh, you you meant that sarcastically, didn't you? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, okay. no, there's an inauguration going on. Right yeah, now. No, there there is. I, I was thinking deadlocked on the Sixers who haven't played since Saturday because they had two days off and then one game postponed. But yeah, there's one or two things going on in the real world, for sure. For sure. Yeah, as, as far as our world, though, the Sixers, there hasn't been a lot. They uh, they got their game canceled, so now we can stop saying the NBA doesn't cancel Sixers games. And it was, I shouldn't say it was funny, it was odd that they, they got their game canceled in what really felt like a preventative me- yeah. measure. And good on, because good on them, too. Because this didn't affect... Their their games this week, you know, they they wanted to make sure because of the Memphis player who uh, who had it, the, the, the Sixers just didn't catch it. But but the answer to that is no, and it looks like we're full speed ahead for these Celtics games. Yeah, and well, not only full speed ahead, Seth Curry has been cleared. He's not on the injury report at least anymore. Uh, I think the only two people on the injury report still are Vincent Poirier and there's one more, Mike Scott. Mike Scott. Correct. And with a, a real old school injury, uh, a knee injury. So the Sixers should be back to as close to full strength as we have seen since they were, I mean, since two weeks ago almost now, uh, when they were 7-1 and one heading into a, a Brooklyn Nets game. Um, so that will be that will be good. Uh, it will be nice to see Joe come back and play. It'll be nice to be Seth if he does come back. You know, just because he's been clear doesn't mean he's necessarily, like sometimes coaches want to get a couple more practices in. We'll see probably later today. We're recording this before the... First of two Celtics games, but it will be good to get the full squad back uh, to see really what you have. 
because like we said, this is so much of a, an evaluation period where everything's been so weird, it's been really tough to evaluate. So anytime we can get more time with their full roster will be good. Um, yeah, hope Seth is feeling better. It seems like he is from what Doc told us. And that, that was kind of in his initial quarantine period. So yeah. I, I hope we get a get that news from him. Um, as far as how he plays, you know, that'll be... He was on a pretty, roll, too. Pretty questionable. He is, I mean, he's leading the NBA in three-point yeah. shooting right now, 59.5%. And yes, like you said... I would say his last three or four games, he was really taking it to another level. And also, he had that minor ankle injury, too, right before the diagnosis. So, hopefully that's... I mean, it seemed like it was minor. Um, It didn't seem like it was a... They didn't ever really... What do they call it? Like, ankle soreness? I don't even think they really gave it a a real injury. So, hopefully that is all cleared up now that he's had some time off. But, yeah. Yep. I think it was one of those where he landed a little funny in the Washington game, and it didn't affect him... The rest of the night, right? But perhaps he woke up the next day. You know, Sixers on a back-to-back in Brooklyn. So yeah, it's it'll be a complete mystery on, on how he plays. That said, he's got a he's got a lot to live up to because Shake Milton and Tobias <laughs> Harris came out and were, were pretty damn good. Twenty-eight points, and he made it look look easy against the against Memphis. He's been playing real good, real good. And like we said before, his shot isn't. <clears throat> it started to fall. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm dying. His shot started to fall the last couple of games, uh, his three-point shot. Before that, he wasn't even really shooting the ball all that well. He's playing really good basketball, for sure. We could have a segment on every podcast. Shake Milton is playing good basketball yeah. because it really doesn't uh, stop unless he is out with contract tracing or uh, or an injury of some sort. Dude, so, dude uh, it's I, I been... say, <clears throat> oh, God. Man, you, you really are dying. You, <laughs> I've got you, like, you, something you dying in my throat. I don't know what's going on. Um I, I say and type contract tracing every time. I don't know why. It drives me insane. I get in the, I, like now when I'm writing about it, I have to go back and control F contract to make sure that I don't make that mistake. For some reason, my finger is just, anyway, completely pointless. I'm a slower typer than you. I, uh, <laughs> I make a I lot don't of do mistakes. It. It's, uh, it's pretty funny when you see, this is really stupid, but it's pretty funny when you see some of the writers on, on press row and they are, they're two index fingers. Oh, typers. it's amazing. It, 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 I, so like I, I grew up around computers. Obviously I was a com- computer engineer before tricking people into thinking I knew anything about basketball. Uh, so I've always been around computers, but the number of people who like hunt and peck with two fingers, it blows my mind. This is your job. Like this is your job that you could be more efficient at. I, I don't get it. I don't, but yeah. yeah, there's a staggering amount, staggering amount. Well, that's why you're get, that's why you're getting it wrong. I, I, I'm in the middle. That's I'm in between. I'm in between the two finger people and the the classically trained typists, <laughs> where uh, they have their hands on the middle of the keyboard at all times. So no, that doesn't happen to me. Anyway, but let's 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 keep moving. Let's, let's yeah, go to basketball. Let's... Nobody nobody cares about this. I could I could talk about my Cherry MX Blue keyboards all day, but I don't think many people subscribing to this podcast truly care. So I think you know it's like we said, it's so tough to take away too much from. What's going on right now? The Sixers have lost four of their last six. Very, very few of them have looked like real NBA games. Their most recent one was a 106 to 104 loss to the Grizzlies in Memphis, which on its surface, especially considering Joel Embiid wasn't available for that one, is not the worst loss in the world. On the other hand, it was a real bad game from Ben Simmons. Overall stat line, I think, probably is is deceiving. Um, 11 points, 16 rebounds, 9 assists. Uh, he shot 3 for 9 from the field and 7 turnovers. 
And I think the two games in a row that he played, you know, that one and then the previous one against Miami, which he got a triple-double in, but I think his uh, the concern level over Simmons has probably ratcheted up to an almost all-time high. And part of that's, I'm sure, because of the trade that didn't happen and maybe the hopes that some people have. And part of it's just that he is not playing very good basketball at all right now. And on the season, he is shooting, you know, he's having 12.3 points, 9.3 rebounds, 8 assists, 1.5 seals. For the most part, everything outside of the scoring is fine. He's down to 50% shooting on the season. The career is 56%, but coming into this season, it was, fit. I mean, it was 56%. All right, fair enough. Uh, not enough games to change that. Um, What's he shooting on twos right now, too? It's uh... Yeah, f- 51 uh, when he was shooting, like, pretty much just about 57 before the season. He's he's not playing well. He's not getting the free throw line as much. You know, you look back to what we wrote earlier in the season, one of the real keys I thought for him was to get up in that six to seven free throw attempts per game range. He's down in the fours again. He, so there's, I think there's a whole, a few different ways to look at it. The first is that you were hoping he was going to take the jump that he, to this point, never has. And this is another year. And look, very abbreviated offseason, new coaching staff. Like, I think if you're going to, Coming into the season expecting him to be a three-point bomber, you're probably going to always be disappointed. But this is another year now where, I mean, look, he's he's 24 years old. He'll be 25 this summer. Hasn't made the jump that I think a lot of people are hoping he would. That's one aspect of disappointment. And then there's the fact that he's just not playing anywhere near his normal levels. And forget about team construct. Like, I get if his usage rate dropped because you had more options, especially with the growth of uh, Milton and the the drafting of Maxi and the addition of Seth Curry, like maybe he's not going to have the ball quite as much as he used to. That's, That's fine. not happening. Here. That's not what's happening. He is getting into prime scoring opportunities and not taking advantage, not going up strong, not taking the scoring opportunities, not getting the free throw line. He his passive play has reached an almost all time high. And if you are concerned about it, I get it. I get it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah. It, I mean, the ball is in his hands. I do not have that number in front of me, but jo- I mentioned this on the last pod. Jonathan Jarks at the Ringer, he pointed out that Simmons has the ball in his hands almost as much as any other player in the NBA. And that's that's fine. He's the, the half-court playmaker. But you had a good stat the other night. Um, his rookie year, he took 6.2 shots per game off drives. This year, it's down to 3.7 attempts. And so... I don't know. It's a little frustrating to me when I see on Twitter that he's, uh, you know, he's creating all of these three point attempts. I know he is good at that, but hey, if you have the ball in your hands the entire game and you don't shoot from the outside, if you don't shoot off drives, you're probably going to create some three point attempts when you, right. when you I pass mean, the ball. Part out. of that is because 
you know, most most point guards are the ones leading their team in three-point attempts. So three-point shots off the dribble that other point guards would take, he passes up. But also because he's passing up scoring opportunities. Like, it's not like all of these kickouts are adding value to the offense. Like, he is, is creating so many three-point attempts because other players who would take that shot that's given to him when they get five feet from the basket are taking that shot, and he's not. Uh, I definitely think there is a lot of noise in that stat. Yep. And, and you can just see it. There, there are a lot of times, like, fourth quarter against Memphis, crunch time. Obviously, the ball was in Tobias and Shake's hands a lot. But when the ball was in Ben's hands, you would see him drive. And, you know, he gets, like, six feet away from the basket. And then, maybe not six feet, eight feet away from the basket. And then it's a post-up. Or it's a turn around and look for somebody else. And... The fact that he doesn't seem to have much of a plan or much of an instinct to create a good shot for himself, get to the free throw line, whatever, it's disappointing because they give the ball to Shake, who, you know, is one thirtieth of the athlete that Ben is. And he's getting to the line in those spots. Yeah. He's yeah. got the floater, you know, he's got whatever. He's got different tools in his kit to uh to score. And it's uh, oh, combining those two would be like the best player in the NBA. Yeah. And there's a little bit of hyperbole in that, but not too much. Yeah. And you saw it. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. He bleacher report and all of these aggregation places are going to pick up on his airball three point attempt, which I mean, he missed by like it was five a bad feet. Shot. It, it, it was, was a bad, bad shot. shot. That's and like it. a lot of people will be like, Oh, well you want him to take it. So you can't yell at him or you can't complain about it. Well, you can't complain that an NBA player after being in a league for four years comes up shooting like that. Like he needs to, there's one thing to not have touch and not be a good three point shooter. That was atrocious, but go on. Cause I agree with it, what you're about to say. It was bad, but I don't give a shit. He should shoot more of them. That, that is what, what I think. And, and for me, the play that bothered me way more down the stretch of that game than him taking that three point attempt, because I do think he's a much better shooter than mm-hmm. that. I don't know. If it was nerves or or whatever the hell it was, he just he just did not judge the distance well at all on it. Um, the play that bothered me more was with about a minute left. He's in like semi transition, and he throws a sixty foot up the sideline yeah, pass to Danny to Danny Green, and John Morant makes a really nice play. He particularly made a really nice play to as he was falling out of bounds, throw it back in and save it to Memphis. It was one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. It was terrible. I mean, he threw it to Danny Green. Danny Green, you know, we just talked about this last pod. Like, he's make or miss guy. Like, he's going to run hot and cold. What is the rush to get him a ridiculous shot if you can't 100% make that pass? And to me, the, the wheels turning in his head, that that was a pass made out of, I don't want to play in the half court. I don't want to do it. So I'm going to throw this really risky pass and see what happens. And that's bad. That That is what worries me. And, and look, hanging over all of this, I, I don't think he is 100% healthy. Yep. I do not think. You've been on that right from the jump. Yep. I do not think he is cutting off. What is it? His right knee? Uh, whatever knee that is bothering him. I, I do not think. It's, uh, it's kind of similar to Carson Wentz. To uh, to steal a cross sport analogy, I'm not saying that Ben forgot how to play basketball, um, but but just Carson Wentz, his athleticism, what has d- 
declined has been kind of his elusiveness, how to get out of the pocket. When when Ben, just like Wentz, when he gets to his full speed, I still think he can do that. But to me, the kind of the, the quick cutting and the sharp movements, that is not quite there right now. And you can see it on offense and defense when he's chasing yeah. some of these guys. Um, hopefully that gets better. I don't know. You know, that that's bothersome. You know, it's clear that uh, screw you NBA with the, the Nuggets game. That was a clear injury when he when he was dealing with it against. Well, uh, he even missed the Atlanta game, too. Yeah, against Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, so th- that is hanging over all of this. But, uh, yeah, I just I, I don't like his approach right now. To your point, um, he is at 88.1 touches per game this year, was at 90.5 last year. Uh, I don't know what the stat means. Time of possession at six this year, seven last year. Can I just say NBA.com is the worst? Like it says time of possession seven. I don't know what that means. I click the glossary, time of possession, dash, time of possession. That's not a glossary, dipshits. Explain what your fucking stat means. Anyway, anyway. Um, so he, in terms of overall touches, which I'm go yell at John Schumann, man. I think I've brought this up to him before. It seems a little outside of his purview, but in terms of time of possession or in terms of overall touches, it's dropped very small, a very small percentage. Uh, He still has the ball in his hands quite a bit. And I agree with you a hundred percent. I think he he is not at a hundred percent in terms of that knee. It is the same knee that he, he injured in the bubble and he missed two games here early. I, he doesn't look like he is moving 100%. That may play a small factor in it, maybe even a, a significant factor. But at the same time, when he, even when he is getting into position, he is just, he, like, there is no confidence right now in himself as a scorer. He has no, like, it, it's clear, even from five feet, he just, he is not a comfortable scorer right now. And maybe some of that is because he can't do what he can physically and he's lost confidence. But so much of Simmons' game and what he doesn't do comes down to his comfort zone and his confidence. And we talk a lot about that in terms of his three-point shot and shooting off the catch and all of that stuff. And this is an aspect of it too. And it is it is for sure. I mean, you have a six-foot-ten freight train who is as fast as anyone in the league. And he very rarely actually takes advantage of that in the half court. And I get it's tough at times when teams play so aggressive of a drop on him and play off of him. But there are still many opportunities a game where he just he passes it up so he can do a 180 and kick it back out to Dwight Howard at the top of the key that's not it's funny because Joel Embiid got the duo 180 nickname somehow by accident when it really should be Ben Simmons those <laughs> plays like it's it's one thing to kick open to you know Seth Curry or Shake Milton in the corner don't waste five seconds on the shot clock to get in prime scoring position in the half court only to kick it back out to your center who's not a shooter anyway it, it's it's frustrating for sure for sure and and you would hope, you know, I mean, he's not as efficient as he can be anyway, that he would just say, look, I'm willing to make some mistakes with some of these drives. You know, if I if I don't draw the foul here and I it bounces hard off the backboard and misses, okay, next time maybe I'll try and draw a foul and, may, and like I'll learn from that. He did admit that his knee, he didn't completely admit it, but he said, at times I'm trying to get my legs under me. It's tough. We got a back-to-back tomorrow, so we'll see how I feel. Editors note they didn't play that game. Uh, but overall, I'm feeling solid. So didn't really acknowledge the knee, but but did say that he's not 100% with his yeah. movements. And um, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. So, you know, I think we're at the point where I just want the guy back from January, February last yeah. year. 
and that is still a somewhat limited player. But that was probably the best basketball Ben has played in his career. Yeah. Maybe maybe the end of his rookie year, he was he was pretty awesome then. Um, but but if they can just get that that guy back, who will still have his limitations in the playoffs, his his can be schemed up by some defenses, that that would be good. And they're a far long way away from that right now. Uh, I thought you made a really good point, and I want you to say this on on Twitter, and I'll just tee it up with this. I don't know what is going on behind the scenes. I don't know if they really can have that much contact behind the scenes with all of these COVID regulations. I will say, though, Doc Rivers, what I've heard publicly from him about Ben shooting and just his general offensive yeah. approach, I have hated it. Yeah. And, you know, I I mentioned this the other day and, you know, I basically said, like, if you were expecting or hoping for Doc to bring Ben outside of his comfort zone, early returns are not good. And I had people respond like, well, he says every press conference that he's not going to ask Ben to step out of his comfort zone. And that's true. That's a very fair point. My reason I brought it up is sometimes what coaches say to us, the media, us jabronis who don't really matter and what they're saying behind closed doors is different. And you Could get be that. Different. It's yeah. completely different, like 180 degree different. Uh, Doc Duo 180 Rivers. And it <laughs> should wait, be. But by, by, by the way, but, but I have to say that that was a funny comparison you made to Embiid. I will say Ben's crazy passes, not, not as bad as Joel, uh, 15-year-old Joel spinning out of bounds at Montverde Academy in the, <laughs> yeah. in the JV game. <laughs> he just ran on a fast break and just ran like three steps too far. It's great. It's fantastic. Um you know, I think there is where was I going? Uh dual one eighty docs. Yeah. So public there, comments versus there, public. And private. sometimes there should be a very wide discrepancy in what they say. It's one thing to ask a player, push a player, push the right buttons privately, and another thing to put that kind of pressure on him. I mean, we saw how it worked out with, you know, Brett last year, like the take one three a game thing in public, tell his trainer, tell his 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 agent, whatever, tells his family. It didn't really work out all that well. No, and you don't want to go with the Doug Collins, I, I bled for this game. Yeah. I would I ran run through my, my shoes. shoes. Nobody ever booed me. <laughs> um, but it's one. Th- it's another thing for, for Doc to be saying the same thing behind closed doors. And maybe he's not, but clearly Ben has not stepped outside of his comfort zone at all. He's retreated back into it even more. And I do think Ben is the type of player where confidence, you know, it's not so much what he can and can't do anymore, it's confidence. And we've talked so much about that in terms of his shot. We're now seeing it in terms of fit. I mean, we've always seen it in terms of finishing at the rim, but we're seeing it to an even greater degree. They need to figure out the right buttons to push because right now, look, can, can Ben still be a really good player even with his limitations? Yes, but you're not getting the most out of him that you can. And when you have such a unique physical player, I I would just, especially because like that, that movement from, Good team to great team from second round to NBA champion. It's so tough. And there's so many, there's so few opportunities that you can really make that jump. And they're all going to be risky. And one of the least risky ways is for Embiid and Simmons. And I mean, we can maybe even Milton and Maxi to make jumps that we don't expect. And every year that goes by is another year where they don't make, or Simmons specifically doesn't make a jump that we didn't see coming. And you just, you, you want to see him become the player he potentially could be, and this has been a tough start to the season. And this might be just a frustration with Doc in his public comments because 
which which again don't matter, but it does feel like there is a little bit more. I don't know BS than sometimes we got with Brett because after the the Heat game, he got asked. You know, Ben did have a triple double, but it was the uh, it was the old pathetic triple double that Andre Iguodala used to have. I I mean that sarcastically, but he had you know he had ten points, ten rebounds, twelve assists. He he really didn't play a, a lights out game. Sometimes he can just get a triple double by having the ball in his hands a lot, and that, that happens. And that's that's a credit to him in in some ways too. But he got asked, Doc got asked about his performance, and he said. Well, we just scored 125 yeah. points. We scored, or we shot 54%. We shot 46% from three. Ben had a triple double, you know, like we're scoring points. What's wrong, guys? He didn't say those last parts, but he, he has said that a lot of ways too. He goes, I don't care about or how the scoring comes from. We I just care that we do it. And I'm thinking like, okay, I really hope like in your head, you realize though, first off, you're not going to play against Max Struss for, for the rest right. of the season. That that Heat team sucked. So I, there is an element of like, can you build better habits as this goes along? And then you have a game against Memphis where Ben, again, he has a triple-double, but the shots aren't falling quite as much. You don't have Embiid to serve as the, the offensive focal point. I, I'm just saying, Doc, I really hope like when you have good scoring games, when you have bad scoring games, you're at least thinking a little more of, okay, how did we do this? Why did we do this? What's going to be more sustainable? Right. And what's going to work in the playoffs? Yeah. And I mean, when you take a step back and look, all of these results so far this year are borderline dog shit. Like, it is really the strangest year to cover I've ever seen. They're going to be borderline dog shit the entire year. year. Boston doesn't have Tate in the night. It's ridiculous. I know. I know. And Kemba's on his second game back and played like dog shit against uh, against the Knicks. But you take a step back. Yeah, they were starting lineup played well. But overall, this is the 16th ranked offense, despite playing a really mediocre schedule so far. And again, I know they've missed a lot of people, but it's not like this offense is clicking at on all cylinders at all times. Anyway, like you said, it's one thing to beat Max Struss and Gabe Vincent. It's another thing to have that success in the playoffs. And I think you need more out of Ben to, I mean, to steal a Doug Collins saying, to win the ultimate game. I think it's fair to say he's struggling and you need more out of him. I don't, uh, anyway, anyway. Yeah. <sighs> All right. He plays better. I, I like watching him when he plays better, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's been, uh, for sure. It's not been it, this it, year. Yeah. It hasn't been this year. And yeah, I, I would say with the, the fan reaction, not only is he playing poorly and deserves criticism that combined with the near trade last week or, perhaps not near trade with some of the reporting we've seen, but, you know, with his name being in those hardened discussions, um, there's going to be a lot of focus on him. I said it on the last pod, like, wait, wait till he has a bad game. It could get pretty ugly when it turns to the, the fan discourse and to Ben's credit, he didn't waste any time. (laughs) We got it right away. Yeah. Yeah, he did. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, all right. I think let's shift a little bit. You know, there was, since we were talking about doc, there was, um, on the rich Eisen podcast, uh, rich Eisen show doc was on talking about his relationship with Daryl. And I think there has been some, you know, sort of discussion about whether or not doc can overrule Daryl on transactions. So let's play the clip here and we can discuss that relationship with him and Elton and me, uh, we literally talk every day. We're an open book. I love his brain. I just love his brain. I think he's one of the smarter men uh, in team sports. And I, and I really believe that he has the ability to see trades and see the cap uh, and see maneuvers, not just for now, but for later. That's not me. I can't do that. Right. But what he does well and what we do well is we listen to each other. You know, Daryl, has had several trades so far that's no, don't want to do that. And he moves on, you know? And so that's the type of relationship you have to have when you have coach and management. I think it works that way. Did one of them involve a now former Houston rocket? No, no, no. That was obviously a big thing, obviously. Uh, uh, And as I said, after that, I'm glad where we're at right now. Sometimes the best trades you do is the ones you don't do. And I'm hoping that's the case. All right. So I think some people saw a part of this clip or transcribed part of this clip and effectively thought, um, you know, does Doc have the ability to overrule Daryl? And is this a big concern what he said? You know, I do think it is significant that he said, like, it's not like he overruled the James Harden trade. I think some people just jumped to that immediately because there's a trade that didn't happen. Uh, it, I, in no way do I think Daryl Morey would have turned. I don't think Doc said that. In no, that he, trade well, I, that's why I included the second part of that clip because he, Those were he, two he said he didn't. Separate questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think I think if you would have just heard the first part of that clip, you could have made the conclusion or at least the speculation that Doc may have objected to the Harden trade, and maybe that is why it didn't happen. I don't think that is the case. You know, it's a, uh, it's, it's. I think. Look, I think Daryl has final say with the uh, the roster moves, but it would be foolish and naive and a little reckless of him not to get Doc's input. And if Doc strongly objected to a move that Daryl was thinking of doing, 
Daryl would have to have a, a pretty high degree of confidence and certainty that this was right. You can't, you can't play that card all the time and maintain a relationship. You can't overrule doc. If he has a strong objection all the time and still maintain that relationship. Does that mean doc has final sight? No, it just, it just means that I think Daryl is mindful of the relationship that he has with his head coach and, uh, is going to get his input. And part of that input input is if doc doesn't like it. And it's not like an earth shattering move that Daryl thinks is going to significantly move them towards it. Like you, you don't, Piss off Doc for a 14th man is the way you phrased it before the podcast. I think that's true, and I think that's probably more what Doc is talking about. Yeah, you would hope so, because the reason you hire Daryl Morey is to run the show. And I know he is consensus-oriented, as he said, but as we have talked about a million times, you can have a consensus while also entrusting somebody to make the final decision and you know, basically organize things. So you would hope on, and, and I, I would think so too, that on the big moves, such as a hardened trade, if Doc wasn't on board, tough shit. You know, yeah. he's, he, and it, a, it, it, does, it was it. a little bit interesting. Doc at the end talking about like, sometimes the best moves are the ones that don't happen. You wonder if he's just saying that because he wants to keep Ben happy, or if he's saying that because there might've been a part of him that wasn't really super thrilled about coaching James Harden or, or is super thrilled about coaching Ben Simmons, which I think he's, I, I think there's some truth to that. I think he is interested and excited to coach Ben Simmons, but um, it's interesting which angle he would have been coming from on that last part. It's, it's hard to tell. I, Doc is pretty media savvy when it comes to lying. I would say <laughs> like he's, which is, look, it's okay. Uh, that that sometimes he would have to put lipstick uh, on a pig. Like he's he's been a part of much tougher situations than almost trading Ben Simmons. So he's you know he's been around twenty years. So he's he's seen everything as an NBA coach. But yeah, you you hire Maury to make the big decisions. I will say that this is one of the results of hiring a coach first, then hiring yeah. some front office people. Then empowering Elton. And then, oh, by the way, here's the person who's going to run all of this stuff. Yeah. It's n- not to say that they aren't navigating that weird order of events fine, but I'm just saying, like, it, it is a possibility. For sure. For sure. Uh, we The Sixers never do things in the right order of operations. It's just, it for some reason, it never, never happens. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny, like, Doc is the person you would worry about it more. <laughs> you had Elton on day one saying, no, no, he Daryl is is running things. That That is what's happening. Doc, even in some of the other cases, it's been, we, we're all doing this. Yeah. This, is, this is all of us. I'm, make sure my name is etched on these, uh, on these personnel moves as well. So I, I would just say, like. What's Glenn Davis doing? Yeah. Let's, uh, Brandon Bass back in our life. Let's give it a, a little bit of a grain of salt when it comes from his mouth. But it's it's something to I, – I certainly think like this front office dynamic and how all of these guys work together after coming from entirely different places and Elton still being here and a couple other of the, of the front office people still being here. It's a, it's I'll be interested to see how it plays out because it's, it's different than how most of these things are put together. All right, so I guess moving on, we want to keep this one quick. Uh, trying to, um, we don't want every, we don't want to release two and a half hours of podcasts every week like we have been. So let's cut this one pretty short. We do have a couple of, um, not home and homes, but a couple of two game series coming up Wednesday and Friday against the Celtics. Tatum is certainly out in health and safety protocols 
for the Wednesday game. We'll see what happens on Friday. And then you have two on the road against the Pistons on Saturday and on Monday. And then a, a, a big one at home. Uh, get your tickets. I'm kidding. There's no <laughs> tickets. Against the Los Angeles Lakers. <sighs> that might be the first real prime time, like, measuring stick matchup they've had all season because it'll be the first time teams will actually be available, which will be great, except, you know, at that point we will be, what, 19, 20 games in the season. Strange year, uh, but a good one coming up soon. Any, I guess any quick thoughts on the, the Celtics that they're about to uh, take on here? We sort of mentioned it a little bit at the beginning in terms of how weird their season has been. but Yeah, they, they battled through some, some early struggles. You know, they won a bunch of close games. Certainly had, you know, got the lucky Tatum banker against Milwaukee in game one. They had the Peyton Pritchard shot in Miami. I am, a, you know, we saw the Celtics in the preseason. It's good to see the Kemba is back. I'm a little worried about their depth and the Sixers, yeah. I, despite the, the fact that the Sixers got swept by them in the playoffs last year, they also didn't have Ben. And oh, sure. And I mean, we, that, we, you go back and listen to it. We, like Ben was a big part in there because I think they won, what, three out of four against the Celtics in the regular season. Ben was a big part of that. He played Tatum real well. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny that there was a sense within the Sixers ranks that, okay, we had a crappy season last year, but losing Ben for that series, like uh, uh, that went from probably an uphill fight in a playoff scenario to, okay, we have no shot. And Joe even mentioned it. He was like, we didn't have Ben last year. He guarded Tatum really well during the uh, regular season. For some reason, I feel pretty good about how the Sixers match up with the Celtics. They, uh, in some ways, losing Kenner is a big deal yeah. just because, you know, not a good defensive player, but not a large human, as we've said, there is an element of, you must be this tall to ride to, uh, to hold up against Embiid and, uh, not to say he stopped him, but, but he does a better job than he probably should. So, uh, yeah, we'll get a look. I, I actually think the Sixers, if Curry and everybody are back and, not terrible, but I, I feel pretty good about how they're yeah. going to play in the series. Jalen Brown's made a huge jump, but it is, He's been awesome. it is yeah. much easier for him to do that when Tatum is by his side. And, and Kemba just doesn't look like he's fully up to speed yet. I, I, I mean, this, this little home and home here, or not home and home, this two-game series against the Celtics, it, it does sort of show why Simmons is potentially so valuable and why his regression offensively and lack of progression over the years is so frustrating because he is, I mean, this is like a, a sport where big forwards have sort of come to have a prime role and Ben is as equipped to defend them as anyone in the league. It He's a huge ad on that side of the court. He needs to, the Sixers need to spend less time playing four on five. And that is the Ben Simmons experience so far, but we'll cut this one off here. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.